dialed in to Fox and Brews, you might hear something you can use. Like tips on your cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these stuff. Because they know the brews. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself some beer money. Bucks. And brews. Bucks and brews. And brews. Bucks and brews. All right, welcome back to Bucks and Brews. Uh, Nick, we have a guest this week. I love guest week. I do love guest week as well. And I've been pumped for this one ever since uh, we got in contact. And, yeah. And we'll get to that in a second, because what is the most important thing we have to talk about tonight? Hey, David, what are you drinking? Oh, I have such fun stuff tonight, Nick. So from a brewery that's near and dear to my heart, because they gave us a free six pack and they Anybody that gives us a free six pack got a soft spot. In my Absolutely. Heart. So from Dustel Brewery, I have a peanut butter porter. Um, when I get done with that, I'm going to Grand Armory. I have a great Grand Armory story later. Yeah. Uh, blurred lime, key lime cream ale. So this one. I have had Grand Armory beers. Yeah. Not had this one. And then Rogue, who likes to like our stuff on Twitter, but will not send us beer yet yeah we got to work on that don't worry we'll get um, santa's private reserve 2021 kringo crusher i've had that a few times yeah. as well that's a delicious beer nick what you got uh i say i'm starting out with a michelob ultra going to another one and another one and another one and we'll I'll see say, what happens my michelob ultra i uh i say i'm still slimming down i went another uh, belt loop on the pants so i know i'm losing at least something there you go so uh we are joined by jesse tonight and jesse what are you drinking I am drinking the Mill Pond Dirty Dirty Blonde Ale from Oyster City. So Oyster City's in Apalachicola, which is in the, it's like little small beach town um, in the panhandle of Florida. And they're one of my favorite, favorite Florida beers. One of my favorite Florida breweries. Nice. So, yeah. One week from today. You will be in Florida. I will be in Florida. Oh, we're in Florida. Uh, we're going to Orlando. Oh, nowhere near here. So, yeah. well, have fun. <laughs> See, I, I will. That's all it's going to be is just fun. Two months from today, I will be in Florida. <laughs> also in Orlando. Yeah. Mm. I say as we both drink. Uh, Jesse. Yeah, we're good at this, say, aren't we? We are very professional. Hey, we, we like to drink and talk. We do. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, why say why are you so passionate about this millennial generation thing well so i'm jesse de silva i'm known as the millennial money witch that's a name given to me by forbes i'm an intuitive mindset and biz intuitive mindset coach and business consultant and so some of the things i do is a i help entrepreneurs start and scale businesses b i help companies retain talent and increase profits by putting forward people first policies. And then finally, I help professionals find their dream jobs and dream companies for dream pay. So why I'm passionate about like, you know, kind of millennial workers issues is because I think it's a really unique situation that's arisen. Like we've, we're seeing so much talk about like the great resignation and something I'm, I've been saying is that it's not like the great resignation. This is the workers' strike that's essentially going on. That's what's happening. 
And I think that while it encompasses plenty of generations, I think that the ones that are kind of moving into that space of leaving behind like traditional employment the most is probably going to be millennials. Like it's a pretty big generation and they're in that phase of their career where there's not as much upward mobility. There's not as much room for pay increases that companies want to give away. And they're over it. Like they're uniquely over it in a way that nobody else is. And so that's why I talk a lot about like the millennial uh, perspective of it, but it's obviously something everybody's dealing with right now, thanks to the pandemic and a unique cocktail of circumstances that have led us to this point. Thanks pandemic. Well, you know, we, you do qualify as a millennial. That's a fact. Oh, that's I'm true I, statement couldn't be said. I'm quite a bit older than you. You are, Grandpa. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I do not quite count as a millennial. I missed it by about four years. So I'm Luckily, honestly, yes. happy about that because I don't get the crap that your generation does. Oh my god! Well, you know, I think every generation gets crap. Right? I mean, right now, as a millennial, I still talk crap about the kids below us because you know. I'm gonna tell you right now. I don't think Gen X got a lot of crap. I mean, boomers didn't like us, but they were our parents. And honestly, <laughs> fuck boomers. <laughs> <laughs> a little passionate about that sorry yeah. um so i did follow jesse's uh live she had a couple of weeks ago she was out there answering anybody's question literally and i thought that was fabulous it reminds me of what nick and i like to do um we love to just get on here and dig into people's specific issues yep um the buzzfeed article i thought was fabulous uh when, when I look at things, because I, I, I don't see myself as a traditional worker anymore. I started working from home full-time in 2011. I don't go to the office anymore. The only time I go to a job is when I go to my wife's business and I work for her for free. Um, I guess technically as a softball coach, I go to that job, but that's fun. So I don't really count it. And I damn near work for free there. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think especially what the pandemic showed is all these jobs that used to be in the office, they always should have been from home. Mm, yeah. What's funny is that I just read some kind of stat from a study posted on LinkedIn that said, basically there's almost been no change in like this idea of like people should be able to work from home. It's like, actually around the same percentage of people who are going into the office it's only been changed by about like three percent or like 0.3 percent i don't remember what it was it was something nuts but and it's because as i like to say i think it's because a lot of the executives there's just a disconnect between like boomer executives and like everybody else but especially millennials where you know they kind of still have this perspective of millennials being like teenagers who like want to be on their phones and you know play around and millennials are very much like an autonomous group where they're like I don't need you looking over my shoulder like I'm gonna get my work done and like why can't we like we don't need this many in-person meetings this meeting could have been an email mm -hmm. you know so I think it's like a clash of two different kinds of work cultures especially and there's so much resentment there too because you know, a lot of those boomers who, for the record, like, let's not pretend that like boomers are like all have the American dream. That's obviously not true. But the difference is that I think millennials 
millennials and Gen and uh, Gen Z are both like they have this different understanding of class mobility where they're like, oh, it's likely not going to change. Like if I was born middle class, I'm probably going to stay class. There's not that same identification with like millionaires, but like boomers, and I'll say like my parents included, they're very much like, well, I could be like, maybe, yeah, like maybe I'll get there. Like, even though I'm 65, whatever, maybe I could get there still. Um, And so like, you have this disconnect where it's like, you know, these executives are still thinking of themselves in this, like, like they're still working because they can't afford to retire. And then that's keeping millennials back from advancing in their careers because you can't promote Gen X workers and then you can't promote millennial workers. Like it's just, everybody's just stuck. And meanwhile, boomers keep voting the way that they're voting, which is keeping everybody stuck, right? Like that's really what it comes down to. Right. And I, I mean, I think, you know, especially with boomers, right. They went through, they went through quite a bit of financial turns. Right. I mean, they, they just watch. So I don't know if it's that they have to continue to work. Cause I mean, they're one of the most wealthy generations. That oh we've yeah. Seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that pay gap for them is the problem. Yeah. You have a lot of wealthy boomers, but you have a lot of very, very poor oh, yeah. boomers. And, you know, so I, I look at it, I mean, if I have a cushy job way up at the top and I was raised by, I mean, above boomers, (laughs) but right. It was, it was work hard and get promotions and, you know, work your way all the way up to the top. And uh, very, very quickly in my career, I learned that that was not a thing at all Mm. in any way, shape or form. Right. Like I I was working temp at a a place and it's like, all right, the economy still wasn't good, I guess when I was temping. So it would have been 2007, eight, you know, so the economy, it was like, oh, hey, work hard and you'll get hired into this company. And, you know, six months in, am I getting hired in? Oh, no, they don't hire anybody, right? Like, it doesn't matter how hard you work. And then, um, you know, I go to Gentex, work my my tenure, yeah. <laughs> my career. Um, and, right, like, I worked I worked up high enough, like, they had level B positions. Yeah. I, I worked a non-salary level D. And, right, in order to move up, you have to go to college. You have to do this. And, hey, we're going to map out a little thing for you. And it's like, now I'm, I'm proven I'm successful way over here. I've mm-hmm. proven I can do everything. I've literally led your groups and done all this and now I'm getting right. vanity <laughs> metrics. I had a friend who um, went to like, she was stuck in her job where they were just straight up like, well, we can't pay you more because you don't have a master's. So she refers to her degree as her receipt. Like <laughs> she literally just went and got a master's to have it under her belt so she could get paid more. And like what I teach people is like networking, like you got to network your way to a job because the traditional modes of employment and like job boards and stuff, they don't pay off in the way that you want them to. So that's, yeah, that's what I teach. That's great. Like I don't have my dream job because I still work. Um, I took a new position. uh, So I was retired for about four months. Uh, I took a new position, but when I went into this job, because they were looking for help more than I was looking for work. Mm-hmm. say, um, you know, I went in and I said two things. I said, one, I get to wear sandals every day to work. And number two, I get unlimited time off, right? I won't use and abuse that, but I will definitely take my time off. So, and I got that. And now I, you know, I can be home. I can pick up my kid from school. Excuse me. I can drop my kid off to school. I can do all that. So in theory, I have everything I want out of a position. Now it's just, are they demanding too much of me in my position? Well, you know, that's (laughs) kind of the same spot I'm in. You know, people ask me all the time how successful my wife's business has been. When are you quitting? 
I work with my cats. Right. I like what I do. They leave me alone. Literally, that's all I'm looking for. I get paid a great salary. I'm left alone. I'm at home every day. Uh, last night I was working till seven o'clock at night because I was there and I wanted to bank a few hours so that, you know, I had an appointment today. I could run out to my appointment and not have to take any PTO. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that kind of denotes another kind of cultural difference too, is that like millennials have burned out way before anybody else. Like they were way dis- disillusioned way before. I think most people get, get to that point because you know, so many of us were starting our careers either during, before, or right after the 2008 financial crash. And so we were told what? We were like, okay, go into grad school if you can't get a job or like, um, you know, go take an internship or take a job for very low pay. And that didn't pay off. Like for anybody, it really didn't pay off. And so they basically dealt with the repercussions of that for the past 10 years And so, yeah, when you decide, when you like run into a situation like an international pandemic that sends home 70% of the workforce, those millennials are going to start getting ideas about like, why can't I just stay home all the time? Like if I can do my job remotely, why are you going to make me come back into the office? And hey, if these skills are, are like worthwhile and now everybody's remote, I can start applying to like, I can go work for a much bigger organization or an organization that's based in a much bigger city, start making more money or even start my own business and do it for freelance and not have to deal with any of the bullshit. Right. Well, and one of the girls watching us on Twitch basically said just that now, you know, full disclosure, I coached her. She's grown up knowing Nick her whole life, but um the pandemic for her brought her work-life balance she never had before. And she's more productive at home than she's ever been in the office. And I know I have also experienced that. The minute they said, you have an option, you can be in the office five days a week or you can go home five days a week. And I went home, my production increased heavily Yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm home. Well, that, and I mean, you feel like you have to hit goals more and you don't know what those goals are, right? You're not comparing it to the person that's literally doing nothing, right? Like I'm watching a guy sit on a computer all day going, man, if he's not getting fired, I'm definitely not getting fired. I at least did one thing today, right? So, right. Um, I'm such an introvert. Yeah. I don't want to be around people. Oh yeah. Like, you know, me reaching out to Jesse in the first place is out of my comfort zone, but you know, I did it because everything I, you know, saw from her made me go, Hey, this, this woman thinks like we think, and you know, we need to talk to her, but you know, I don't want to, I don't want the 15 minutes of the office. Hey, how you doing today? What'd you do this weekend? Leave me alone. I, I, you're not my friend. I don't know you. See, I want exactly, to do my thing. That's exactly what I want. I don't. So Jesse, real quick, um, you had kind of brought up a point. You said, you know, millennials kind of got sent home, stuff like that. And they start thinking, can I do this for myself? How many people are, are you seeing growing businesses versus, you know, older generations, I guess? Because oh, I know right so, now. Yeah. Not like I'm some like age old, you know, um, like elf here who's seen plenty of business get started at, get get started. But I see like there's definitely like like a trend, especially because you can do so much online and you can like easily, I mean, you can easily like, let's say just like writing. I'm a good writer, so I'm going to start doing copywriting. You know, there's plenty of companies and businesses of all sizes who are willing to, you know, save a buck on not paying a salary, but paying for a package from somebody 
Like, so I think it's just been a matter of trial and error when the pandemic first really hit. I saw like, like I basically was, I was a job hunt coach initially when the pandemic pit hit, I was at a point where, and I had been in business for like eight to nine months at that point, And I made all these mistakes and figured out how to turn a profit. And I was like, Oh, we have to stay home now. Oh, a lot of people are about to lose their jobs. So what I did was I was like, okay, I'm going to teach people how to start businesses and start them online and like how to like, you know, get, get in touch with the right clients and build a following and all of that. And it was like moths to a flame. Like everybody was interested in that content, whether they had a job or not, because most of those people were like, I finally have time to like time to myself. Like, and I've always wanted to be a life coach. I've always wanted to like be a copywriter. I've always wanted to do this. Who's wanted to freelance. And so then they had time to actually dedicate toward it because, you know, they could balance both and they, without ever leaving home or changing out of their pajamas. Yeah. When the pandemic first hit, I became a true millennial. Uh, <laughs> I know that song. Sorry, my ringtone just went off and I'm sitting here going, am I hearing my own ringtone in my head? Like, <laughs> like as my phone didn't light up, <laughs> I was like, it's crazy. But uh, you know, they say millennials just want to sit at home, play video games and um, do nothing. And when the pandemic hit, like my wife told me I couldn't go out. Right. She's in the medical field. She's like, you're, you're stuck here. And I was like, good. All I'm going to do is play video games. First time in like five years, I've touched the video. I had to like dig it out, get the dust off of it. And I was like, this is a true millennial for me. She got fed up with it after two weeks, of course. <laughs> and she said, Hey, you realize you have a kid. And I was like, yeah, tell her to play upstairs. I'm playing video games. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause Jesse hit on it earlier. Everybody looks at millennials and they're like, well, they're 15. Yeah. But that's just not the case. I mean, they're in their thirties. And I forget that she, and we talk about that granted just cause I've known her, but I, I will always look at her as a 15 year old. Well, and she's not technically a millennial. So Jessica, who's watching us on Twitch right now is technically not a millennial. She's Gen Z. Sure. Okay. Just like, you know, my daughter. Is. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're not getting the bad rap yet because again, boomers think that millennials are 15. That's true. And they don't want to work and they don't want to do this and they don't want to do that. And, and what it really is, is they don't want to work for shitty money. And they don't want to do shitty jobs. They're they're fully. No, you're not. Um, they're fully <laughs> capable of of running the world at this point. Yeah. Well, you know, I say, and I we talk about wage things all the time, right? And you're more pro fifteen an hour. I am very much work your ass off and make whatever you want type of an hour, right? very entrepreneurial mindset right um i don't think a company should hand you anything except for a job i guess right and a company shouldn't hand it to you you should have to go earn it in my opinion right that's what an interview is for so well i disagree i think that actually 15 dollars an hour is an outdated and it should be around 20 to 25 i i, and I would like even for the so-called unskilled workers i think everybody deserves that especially depending on where you live in the world because if you look at the historical context to setting the minimum wage it was designed to allow you to afford a home, to mm -hmm. afford groceries, to afford all of these things, and no one can afford it on minimum wage. It's like the same thing I tell I tell entrepreneurs, right? It's like if your problem is that like you know you have out let let's say you have hourly sessions, right? Like you're some kind of code or you know whatever it is. Maybe it's like even. Whoa! I say we might have lost her for a second. 
Yep, we're frozen up, so Nick and I will just sit here and talk about whatever. I say, no, you know, and because oh, sorry, you're we, back. We okay, lost I was you like for a on second. my soapbox. You okay. were too. You were. Oh. So get back on your soapbox and let us know what you're saying. Oh, all right. So I was saying, like, even with it's the same thing with entrepreneurs, where it's like you know, so say with like a lot of coaches, like the model is basically like you'll have a one on, you'll have like a one off session someone can sign and then you might have packages people can roll into or even with VAs they go based on an hourly rate but the problem is that when your rate is too low you become physically incapable of making any money past a certain point no matter how many hours you work because you just can't get there at that hourly rate so it's the same thing with minimum wage like it, it i don't if you have like three minimum wage jobs and you work every hour like in the day and you never sleep like you're still only ever going to get to you're going to cap out and it's still not going to be at a livable wage so that's why to me it's it's the whole point of why it was invented as a floor was to allow people to live and like to me like the 15 dollars an hour that was like that's information from 15 years ago i mean not 15 years ago like five years ago at this point with the rate of inflation it should be around 20 at least and that's what it because that's what it's designed to do and like personally i think like we should be paid not a livable wage but a thrivable wage but you know at, there has to be like a bottom to it and and i don't disagree with what you say right but what i what i prefer to look at it as is we talk about this as like a movement right like people are you know, the great resignation. No, like it, it does. It takes everybody to get on board to lower this. So now if people stopped buying houses, if we stopped letting people impact us and say, oh, you need to have your own house. You need to have a very nice car. You need to go out and buy this. And the reason that rates are up besides inflation is because people have been given the opportunity to borrow everything and, and afford everything. So they go out and afford everything. Yeah, right? How, so- how did that happen? I'm also going to disagree on that as well, because with the rate of home prices and how they've risen over time, they've risen at a much higher exponential rate than wages have. So the purchasing power that we have now with our dollars, like even if you are adjusting for inflation from like backwards from the 80s up and like forward and then from now back to like the meeting point of 2000, it's it's still about like an $80,000 difference for the same house. And so it's not the same. And it's also like people aren't going to stop buying houses because that's not who's buying houses right now. Who's buying houses and who's buying property are big companies. They're big companies. They're investment firms. They're also like house flippers who pay in cash. And I'm not here to disparage any of those, like any house flippers, because I know a few of them. But like the problem is that like homes are still getting sold because they're not being bought by real people anymore. They're being bought by investment firms. So the house, like they're, and they're doing that specifically to inflate the price of homes. So a median home right now in the United States is $283,000. That's a median. That's the average. And we're talking about like comparatively, like that's just not affordable with the, with where wages are right now. So even if somebody like could get approved for that mortgage, we're talking about something that's astronomically higher than it's been in the past. So I still disagree. But if you look at, but and my point is, is if you look at it, okay, so 283 is minimum. Okay. Now the problem is, is it's in, it's in a great neighborhood. It's $283,000. It's never going to sell for 283. It's in a great neighborhood here. 
Well, just anywhere. Let's, let's just say. Average. No, if we're talking like national home, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good, it's a good, in a good neighborhood. That's the average. So that's the average of all the shitty houses in bad neighborhoods and all the good houses in good neighborhoods. And, you know, all of the ones in between. So, and like all across the nation. So it's going to vary like greatly according to like geography, but even so, like, even in these like like I'm not talking about New York City and Washington DC anymore, although it's insane. The pricing there is like, I have, like, I know somebody who literally was like, she and her husband were going, wanted a one bedroom and like the price for a one bedroom condo was like a million dollars. Like, and that's like fairly standard. <laughs> so it's still but like even, yeah. even smaller, smaller cities you're still seeing this problem where people can't even buy buy in the suburbs anymore because like the prices are still so much higher. And it's because of these investment firms buying a property in mass to then get the prices much higher and then resell them at a higher price, like the same homes. Yeah. So. I mean, I, that's what I do for work. Right. I mean, I, I buy and sell houses and um, you know, but to me, it's, you don't have to buy anything, right? Nobody's forcing you to, right? Oh, hey, I want to live in this area. You could, and we talk about working remote, go find the cheap areas and keep moving to these cheap areas. Go, yeah, but you shouldn't have to. You no, have but a child. I do. You want to go to one of the cheap areas with your child? I'm fine with it. I grew up in those. Also, here's the thing too, is that the alternative is renting and renting is a much worse market than the housing market. So the problem is that like a mortgage in an area could be like, you know, $900, $600, but nobody can afford it because the rent on the other hand is $1,500. So, you know, it's, um, I believe Terry Pratchett had a comparison in one of his books where he explains like the economic theory using boots as an example. So you have this, you basically, he's talking about how, you know, a poor man can only ever afford a $10 pair of boots, but they crap out at the end of every winter. Meanwhile, a rich man can afford a pair of $50 boots that last him his entire life. But if you can only ever afford $10, you're, ne- you're going to end up spending $10 every year for 60 years on boots because you can never afford to pay $50 up front. And again, if you're capped out at like the capacity that you can work based on your hourly rate wage, then you never get the opportunity to buy a home or to like do any of these things or like, because the rent is so high and so are your food expenses and everything else. So that's the problem we're seeing now too, is that like millennials can't buy houses for the most part, neither can like Gen Z. Like there, I think that the, it was the average or like the average age that someone like bought a home with boomers compared to millennials. It's like, the average age with boomers was like 22 or 24 that they could afford a home. Whereas with millennials, it's well into the thirties. Yeah. I, see, I, think so, I saw something at like 34 the other day and it was. Like right. So you can't at that point say that the problem is because like that we can't raise the minimum wage. Like it can't be that. And you also can't say it's because people feel like they need to own a home because the problem is that even if they want to own a home, they can't qualify. You can't qualify for a home with minimum wage period. You can't. So that's already like a non-issue for them. But then the longer you have to rent, m- more difficult it is to, to ever own a home. Sure. Well, see, and I know when I was in school, which will not apply, I'm sure, to either one of you, uh, seventh grade, we had a class where, you know, they basically told you, go look in the paper. 
the paper was a thing for anybody to jump. Um, find a job, a place to live, and a vehicle that you think you could afford, you know, if you were in the workforce now. And I know, I, you know, I opened the Kalamazoo Gazette because I lived near Kalamazoo, and I, I could find, a, you know, a truck for like 400 bucks, and I could find, you know, a job that paid 10 bucks an hour, and I could find an apartment for like 300 a month. Yeah. And I knew I could afford all of that. And I mean, this was 1989. So that's something that, you know, if you would have been in seventh grade, that wasn't anything you could have ever looked at and said, oh, yeah, that's doable. Yeah. And like a $400 car right now, how many, first of all, there's a car shortage. So you're not finding a $400 car. Um, And then like, unless it's like, you're going to rebuild it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so when you get a crappy car as someone who's only ever owned crappy cars, they cost you, they end up costing you just as much because you have to get them fixed all the time. And that was like another reason, like I couldn't get ahead for years was because like, it was probably like every six months or so I'd have like a 500 to $1,500 bill for that. I had my student loan payments on top of that. I had rent due on top of that. I had groceries on top of that. And like, I was somebody who was living very frugally. There was one point where as an attorney, I was babysitting on the side for a friend so she could give me $40 a week, once a week. Like that's sad. Like that's sad to be a young attorney who like literally can't live on their salary. Like it shouldn't have, like, and that was not even me. I wasn't even making minimum wage. I was making $40,000 a year. I was like, apartment, and like, you know, like I was going and as my friends were moving away after the bar, like moving out of town, I was going and like taking all of their pantry groceries, whatever they didn't have, I took home with me. And it's like, at that point, it's like, I was still working at a law firm. It's, it's crazy. I was working at a law firm. I was working at Ann Taylor Loft in the mall. And then I was babysitting like once a week for $40 an hour and, or $40 still, for like two hours. And still getting the reputation that millennials don't work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like people love that one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I say, and where did you live though? I had, I lived in an apartment. It was $800, but it was previously $400 because I had a partner who was contributing and once we broke up, like I was stuck in that lease until I could find something else. Because if I had broken the lease, I would have had to pay like, you know, however many, however many months rent on the apartment up front in order to b- break the lease. So it's like, you know, that's the, the cycle that, you know, people who are making minimum wage and people who live in, live in poverty are confronting. And it, and it doesn't necessarily equate like how hard you work does not necessarily equate to like you immediately getting a raise because plenty of employers are going to try and squeeze every ounce of work that they can get out of you for as cheap as possible. Of course. And yeah, right. Exactly. And so if hard work isn't rewarded then, and you're working so hard to not make anything, then why fucking bother? Why fucking bother at that point? It's like, you know, if we don't want to pay people minimum wage, like, you know, like that's, you know, you're not like, or raise the minimum wage to something that allows us to live. Like, you know, it's just, I just don't think it's right. I think, you know, we talk about this $15 an hour, right? Mm -hmm. It has been going around, as you said, for about five years. Mm -hmm. It takes five years to see this trend kind of come through because we're looking at McDonald's right now and they're finally offering $15 an hour. So 
we were talking about getting ready for this and I, I said, really, it takes a whole nation mm. to, to be fed up with this. Like you can't just have one or two yeah. people and, and it, it takes everybody. So, um, I don't, I don't stand on my own high horse here. Right. But like I, all my rentals, uh, in the area, I have the cheapest rent out of everybody that's around. Why? Because I understand the class I'm bringing in. I understand what I'm doing. I need this, you know, but I'm, I bought a duplex. The rents were 300 and 300, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy bought it back in the day for, you know, 12,000 bucks, you know, and here I am picking it up for a hundred, hundred grand. Um, you know, on a hundred grand, I can't afford to keep you at 300 and 300. I can't make my payment. Right. I'm not looking to be a millionaire off of one property. I'm looking to be a millionaire off of 10, 15, 20, whatever it is. Right. Like, but I'm not out to gouge, but I understand that like, even in my area, I have the cheapest. So people always tell me, Oh, you can't find them. No, you can find them all the time. You can, I will say like, they are there, but they're going like, they're few and far between. And like, that's why I teach that, like in terms of like, you got to manifest it, yeah. you got to manifest it. You got to like find people who have done it. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's the thing is like, we rarely, um, we rarely like, and I say we as like people in general, it is hard for people to like excel past what they've been surrounded by, which is why like systemic oppression is so much worse than anybody realizes because it's not only like the, the system that is actively oppressing you. It is that by not being exposed to anybody you personally know who has exceeded past a certain point just makes it that much more likely for you to stay, to stay stuck. Like you have to, and you can't just see it. You have to like, believe it. So it's the same thing with the rental market in the sense that like, are those places out there? Oh yeah, of course, but it's still not the average. It's still not the norm. And like, it shouldn't have to be that way. Before you chime in, because I know you're going to. <laughs> Always. You're the anomaly. Very you're nice. the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. And you have to stop approaching this situation as it's out there and it happens because it, it doesn't. When you look at just our area in Grand Rapids, mm-hmm. you are by far the cheapest. Mm-hmm. Most places are well north for a two bedroom of 1200 bucks. Oh, well north. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not sure I can afford that right now. And I make really good money. Mm-hmm. But I say, I'm going to tell you real quick, truer words have never been said, right? Like it is, you hit it right on the head. Um, but today we, we have a, we have a property, a friend of mine, right? It's oh. not just me as an anomaly. So it's in Muskegon, right? One bedroom, one bathroom. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a basic apartment. $650 includes all utilities except for trash, which isn't a utility, but like, right. That's awesome. Link to it in your show. Uh, actually, <laughs> if it's I, available. I already have it filled. So. All right, there you go. It's not free anymore. Yeah. So, well, it, it's got to get approved and things, you know, so we're right in the middle of it, but um, bef- so we had it up for, let's say two full weeks before somebody else said, Hey, this person would be a great fit. So we're going to go that route, but you know, th- there's so many things out there. There's, I'm not, I'm not the only one. And, you know, I mean, and again, I tend to hang out with these types of people versus, you know, big wealthy types of whatever. Um, You know, the hard part about buying so much from my mentor, right? So my mentor teaches me a lot of things. The hard part about buying from him is his money is so damn low, right? When he goes to sell, he's like, Hey, I want a million dollars for this property, but I'm only bringing in, you know, $900 a month. And I'm like, it's not how this works. Like you need to be bringing in, (laughs) you know, 
like you need to be bringing in 10,000 a month, right? Like I can't prove, like you're showing me that this value is three, $3,000. Like you're bringing in nothing. The bank's never going to loan it on something. They don't see actual money. I have to go in and I have to raise rent. Like you have to do these things in order to make it so you can buy. If not, I buy land contract, which is why I end up buying land contract from all the time. So I'm getting text messages from somebody that's watching that can't yeah. type on, on the chat here. So Christy, who I work with, yeah, brings up a great point. The cost of daycare mm-hmm. and the fact that if you're looking for a place like what you have, it's a full-time job to find those places. No. Yes, it is. You have to really sit there and search. I, I want to do a full episode on that. <laughs> so, well, we can do that, but yeah, you still but, have to sit there and really search. I remember when I was looking for apartments, yeah. which was, you know, you were probably eight. Sure. And it was a full-time job trying to find a, a decent apartment at a price my wife and I could afford. And we'll do, we'll do a whole episode on that because. And to add that, like all three of us have the benefit of, you know, at least being appearing. Like I'm a Latina I don't have any Latina skin. Like nobody's looking at me and making any judgments. And that's a real thing that people encounter. I think like really the takeaway here is like, you can know what the average is. Like you can know what the average is. You can know like what the landscape pun intended looks like across the country. You also cannot allow that to make you think that it's not possible for you to have better and for you to have something more. And like, whether that's like an apartment you can afford, that's like, you know, just going to be the perfect landlord in the perfect location at the perfect price for you. You can believe that, like, even if the landscape looks terrible, because you're just showing everybody right here, hey, I'm a landlord who does this, like, not all of us think this way. And so if they can believe that that's out there, then that's something that's going to help people connect with it. You know, that's the real takeaway is that like, you can understand like what, what things look like everywhere while at the same time still believing and finding evidence to show you that you can have something better. Sure. Well, that's a great point because, you know, I I know what you're (laughs) going to say, so don't even say it. No, by the way. Um, You know, I, I'm Persian, but I get away with being white. Mexican. I knew you were going to say it. (laughs) I'm Persian, but I get away with being white. I would see that. So I don't really experience anything that, you know, a, a normal person of color would experience. Well, and that's, you know, we talk about that all the time. Like I have that issue because again, I was the white kid growing up in a very African-American community, mm-hmm. right? Like I was asked, why are you here? I like, it, it's never, I'm very self focused on these types of things because it, it's just not, it's, to me, I, I walk up to people all the time. Like we were talking about it yesterday. My wife, feminism stuff. We were talking about how uh, women, you know, they get told, "Oh, honey, you should smile. It'll make you look, you look so much prettier." That. And I was like, I don't understand this. Like whatever. So a guy walks through the door, and me being me, I was like, I look at him. I was like, Hey, man, you should smile more. It'll make you look pretty, right? Or I was like, Hey, you should smile more. You know, it brings your facial feature. And, I, and I, like it's exactly what I said. My wife goes, Oh, I got so uncomfortable by that or whatever. I was like, I'm just proving to you, like. I, I mean, that's the problem is like, because I don't do it. Like I just, assume, the exception I assume the that a million people just don't do this. Right. Because to me, like I will shake anybody's hand. I will talk to anybody. Like, I don't know you. And I just want to get to know you. You know, right? my daughter, hundred percent. you know how many times she's told a day at work that she should smile more? No, at least 10. I, I, and, but I, 
I do tell people they should smile if I see that they're having just an There's also a different moment. connotation in how you're communicating it versus how a lot of men do. Correct. Because yeah. like the one example I remember is I was walking down the street in West Palm and a couple of guys in like a really beat up pickup truck and some guns in the back told me, you should smile more and you bet your ass I smiled. Because <laughs> so smiling. like the reality, but the reality is too that like an average man, like can take down a woman, yeah. can take down the average woman. Like even a small dude can do it because it's just like, and women live in fear of that. Like we've been socialized for it. Like, did you get a talk when you were a teenager how you can't piss off men because they might you? See, no, because I did. I, I, I got I, that talk and my sister got that talk and every woman I know got that talk. Well, the same talk of, you, you know, when, daughter you're, and I have a daughter, when so. you're going to your car at night, you have to sit there and be prepared for somebody to jump you. I've never had that worry in my life. Really? If somebody wants to jump me, go for it because I'll fuck you up. I, you're the same way. Also, you have to consider like even though you have been in situations where you were a visual minority being like a white man, the world and the country has been built for your experience. Yeah. So there's no way for you to take off like your identity and experience it like someone who is marginalized because it's just not going to work. It just doesn't work that way. So you having these conversations, you like talking to people, like they're always going to react to you differently systems are going to react to you differently than anybody who doesn't look like you. Right. And I mean, I say, I'm not saying it's right. All I'm saying is my, the only thing I can do is practice being the change, right? You have to be yep. the change because mm-hmm. I refuse, like I refuse to not call the kettle or to call the kettle black. Right. Like I, again, the exception of the world, 100%. you and I both honestly are the exception of the world. Yeah. yeah. It sucks. And I mean, we both coached girls where way more sensitive to their needs yeah because for the most part we don't like boys i mean i I, i've coached girls for 18 years and i tell them all the time bring me your boyfriend so i can tell them i hate them (laughs) and i i have no problem doing it and we do the i was at a tournament last year we brought up a sophomore her boyfriend was there I started asking because I heard the mom said the boyfriend was there. Hey, where's your boyfriend? Bring him to me. (laughs) And I found him and I said, hi, I don't like you. Get out of here. Because I don't. No. Does she make bad decisions? His girlfriend? No, she makes great decisions, but I don't like any of them. Yeah, but that's that's another issue of like undermining their decision making. Like, because the, the issue is that, like, it's not your place to decide who they get to date or if they're good guys or not. It's you want to empower these girls to know that they have a standard and that they have boundaries and they get to enforce them rather than like the second you start. Like, it's like with my parents, the second mm-hmm. that they didn't like my boyfriend was the second I fell in love with him even more. And, and I see where you're coming from. I'm not nearly as harsh as I would be with like my daughter. Yeah. But I mean, I don't have to be with my daughter. She likes girls. Um, (laughs) But they, they typically take it as a joke. If you can take the ribbing from me, you're probably okay. If you get offended by me, the girl's going to find out real quick. You're not worth the time. Right. Let's say, yeah, we, uh, we definitely joke around way too much. (laughs) So um, is there any other way? No. (laughs) 
And as long as they know, like if they know it's a joke, then it's like, a, you know, it's a totally different thing. There's obviously a way different relationship with like fathers and daughters than, you know, coaches and daughters. You yeah, get they, to be like a male figure that they can, you know, have that respect and like joke around with. And yeah, they, they know that. care less uh, that I'm picking on their boyfriends. <laughs> they just think, you know, uh, coaches being whatever he is. Being silly. Yeah. Um, so what do you... What do you think millennials need to do to further themselves in their careers or in the things that they want to do? I would say that honestly, like it comes from being, being social and like getting to know people, honestly, like people give people, anytime I tell them that networking is their way to their dream job, people have very uh, visceral reactions. I'll put it that way, because a lot of people, their first thing is like, a, I don't want to be like, I don't want to, you know, use people. I'm like, it's not using people. It's building relationships with people in the industries that you want to be working in at the companies you want to be working with. And it's not about like using them. It's about building a connection and you can help them in the future. Like it's about, that's the investment. It's like an investment of like time and genuineness and, you know, relationships there. You know, I know that there's like, you know, there's a whole bunch of people who like, you know, I don't dream of labor. Like, that's not my dream. I don't have a dream job because I don't want to work. Well, I am somebody who loves working. I've always loved working. I love like, I mean, I love helping other people. I've loved like, you know, being a journalist. I've loved being a lawyer. I've had these different lives and I've always loved that. Like I'm somebody where I don't know if I'll ever retire because I think like, I always feel like if I don't have a goal, I'm going to die. Like that's, that'll be like when God calls me back is like when I run out of goals. That's exactly so, it. Yeah. But like the way you get ahead now, like these like little things that our parents told us growing up about like, get your foot in the door. That's a lie. That doesn't exist anymore. Neither does like, you know, if you work hard, you'll get a promotion. Probably not. Like, it's just not, especially like if you make yourself invaluable invaluable people are not replaceable. You don't ever want to be irreplaceable. And like, you know, you don't get any brownie points for like going above and beyond and like doing more, especially because so many people are out to prove themselves because as millennials, it was like, you know, dog eat dog, like in that post 2008 crash market, we're already doing extra already. It's like most, a lot of us are doing a lot more than we need to be doing. Like one of the best pieces of advice I got at a job was don't ever turn your work in early or they'll start expect higher, like a higher uh, caseload rate for you. And then you'll struggle to keep up. And so like, I would get all of my work done, but I would wait until the deadlines to turn things in. Like, and so my workload stayed manageable and there were still times where I stayed late and things like that. But for the most part, like, you know, it worked out for me. So what you need to be doing is meeting people and having conversations. That doesn't necessarily need to mean that like you gotta go to stuffy networking events. Those are, those are garbage for the most part because everybody's there with like the same two goals. It's either people are there for free food or people are there to find a job. So you're not gonna have a great experience. The best places are just in casual social settings. So like, you know, when people ask me about like, what events should I go to? I'm like, I don't know. What do you enjoy doing? Go do those things. Like if, you know, if you go volunteer at the Humane Society, walk dogs or something, you're going to meet somebody else there and you'll get to talking and maybe they know of somebody in your field 
or they work in your field and now you've got this common interest. And if you don't know people or it's not like, you know, I mean, I love volunteer events. I also think like, you know, alumni associations are great, but so are just like, you know, social groups. Like if you go on meetup.com and find like, you know, uh, 30 somethings, I don't know, like beer tasting group or whatever. Like we go around and try different beers, whatever stuff like that. That's going to be your best bet. But like, you know, I know all the introverts are screaming because I am one as well. So what I've done is like, I've literally found people either on company or organization websites and like found somebody where they had something in common with me, or I could like find something out about them professionally that I was like, this is really interesting. This is somebody who's taken a similar path to what I want to take, or, you know, they've came from this part of the country and moved here for this job. And that's somebody where I'm going to reach out to them. Like I'll send them an email. And like, I will say it's like a 50, 50 response rate. Okay. Like plenty of people are not going to respond, but when you ask somebody and you just kind of say like, I found you researching this kind of organization or industry or whatever. I hope you don't mind that I reached out. I'm so-and-so I'm looking to transition from this to this, that's my magic buzzword because the word job that just like puts people's walls up. So I'm looking to transition from this to this, you know, I noticed this about you. Would you be willing to jump on a call with me for 10 minutes? You know, and if they're local, I always say, take them to get a cup of coffee because like, you know, a $5 latte, if, if it gets you like a six figure job, it's paid for itself like plenty times. So, you know, it's like, get on a call with them and just like, you know, just talk to them about what your goals are and like ask them questions about them. Like, you know, just what do they love about their career? What do they love about their industry? What do they know? And like the way I teach it is like, find the job openings that you want and then go find people on staff to build that relationship with first before you ever bring up the job. Because a lot of the jobs aren't even open and you don't know that because you're not on the inside. So, you know, you meet them, you have a, you know, you ask them all your questions and you ask them if they know anybody else you should talk to, which is always key because if you can get a personal introduction to somebody else, then your response rate goes from like 50, 50 to like a hundred percent. So you build your network that way, send a nice handwritten thank you note. And then once that's over, like you've had that little back and forth, then you can basically say, like, send a quick email and say, hey, I noticed that you guys have this job opening. Do you know anything about it? And that's when you find out either, oh, it's we're transferring someone from another department or, you know, oh, we're not really high. That's an old job that we haven't taken down. That's when you get the inside info. Or, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we are actually hiring. Oh, yeah, you would be a great fit for that you know, and then you're like, can I send you my materials to send, pass them along? And even if they can't, like, they're like, oh, you got to apply through the portal or like through Indeed or whatever. Then you say like, can I use your name on my cover letter? And then you get to start your cover letter out saying, I'm writing at the recommendation of so-and-so. And that goes a long way. Like, but you have to have like the bigger goal. First of all, don't wait until you hate your job to do this because the more desperate you are, the lower your standards will get. So like, you know, I like to tell people like, if you are just starting to like, feel like you don't like your job, that's when you start, you want to start as soon as you can, because like, you can always say no to a job opportunity, but you can't go back in time and apply. So, so yeah. And 
maybe one of them's not a good thought, but I have two thoughts. So one, <laughs> we have a networking event tomorrow. We do. At a brewery because we like to drink. We do. And I'm making him go because I don't want to talk to people. And <laughs> he's not here to talk to people. Yeah. So we'll go network and, and Nick's the extrovert. So he'll talk to everybody. And I'll just sit there and hand out, you know, bucks of Bruce shit. Yeah. Because literally all we're doing is, hey, we have a podcast. It's about beer and money. Check us out. Uh, that's perfect that's like the perfect kind of thing for that yeah that's a great right. example so correct me if i'm wrong i'm watching her live a couple of weeks ago and you had brought up a story where you were talking you know to somebody about a job and they didn't recommend you for it because it they just already knew it just didn't pay enough mm-hmm. am i remembering that correctly yep yep that was like the result of one of my networking things i had like seen a job opening i was like oh my god my exact background. Wow. At an organization I would love to work for. Wow. And the guy who's like in charge of it, like, I love him. Like he's fantastic. Like I'd done all my research. And when I finally like asked him about it, which I waited, you know, had the, had the coffee hangout, you know, we did that. And then like, he introduced me to some people. So we had that communication. I sent him the little thank you note. He was like, thank you for the thank you note. And I was like, Hey, I saw you guys are hiring you know, do you have any info on it? And at that point I realized it was just him and one other person was a brand new nonprofit. And he said like, yeah, I thought about asking you about it, but like, I knew based on what you were getting paid now and what you were looking to make, like, yeah, it wasn't going to be appropriate. Like, wasn't going to be appropriate for me to, and that saved me so much time, so much time. And the guy was like a great contact. I like stayed in touch with him plenty. Like, you know, his, the person he introduced me to was a friend of his from law school. She forwarded my resume over when they had a job opening. So it's like, it's still paid off, but like, sometimes you have to look at the wins, not just as the cut and dried, like, oh, I met this person and they got me a job. Cause it, that's the wrong outlook to have. That's like the, you know, it's it, in terms of like manifestation, I don't know how got, how familiar you are with it, but there's this idea that like, it's all, you have to like loosely hang on to what you want because the more you stress about it, the more you think about it, you create pressure and it's like harder for you to connect with it because now you're in a different energy. You're just like kind of panicked. And so it's that kind of mentality where if your ultimate goal is like you independently know I'm looking for a job that has these kind of duties and it pays me this much and it comes with these benefits. If you know all of those things independently and you go about your networking journey, like your longer term job hunt networking opportunity, it's going to find its way to you when you celebrate the small wins. Like I didn't waste my time on a job application. This person introduced me to three more people, like all of that insider info, or like sometimes, you know, I found out from one of these networking dates, they were like, do you check, are you on such and such like listserv? I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, there's jobs on there all the time. Then they're like, are you on like, go join this organization. They have their own job, private jobs boards, right? Like I got all of that inside info from networking, which I wouldn't have known about otherwise. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, I do, I do it in real estate, right? So, you know, when I first started, I didn't know anything and I, you know, kind of posted out, Hey, this is what I do ended up getting a mentor pretty soon. Right. Um, you know, I always try to figure out how to find money, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I listen to podcasts and then all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, this person has the same type of a mindset that I like. 
and I search for them. Hey, would you want to meet up and get coffee? I'm not a big player in the game, but I'm bigger than some people. Right. And so like, you know, halftime people are like, Oh, I want to meet you. And I'm like, no, like you're, you're my interest. Right. And so then you just find that type of a thing out. Um, you know, and recently I just made a new best friend. I mean, literally like instant connection of like being best friends guy out of New York, very, very wealthy. Right. And he's like, dude, if you ever want to do a deal, like we'll just, we'll either a partner, or I'll just give you the money and you know, you'll pay smaller than what you would for what I'm normally borrowing. So if I'm borrowing at 10%, he's like, yeah, I'll just give it to you like 8%. Like, but I've built this relationship and I got it through building these other relationships, like along the way of like, and then getting to the one guy who happened to know this guy. Right. And it's like, holy crap. And like, not because he's money, he's one of my best friends. Like mm-hmm. just, it's so weird. Cause we talk, we talk so much about our families and, and other things. And then it's like, Oh, Hey, what's going on with our real estate stuff? Wait, we should probably get back. Right. To like, that's the real business. And it's like, and that's like, you bring up a great point, which is that like people want to work with people they like, yes. like half the time people get hired because like, Oh, we get along really well. And like, we have fun and like, and you're also like qualified for the job. So if they can, like I always have when I, whenever I network and I even, I've even done it on job applications. I have a one line at the bottom of my interests and they've got like, you know, little dots between them. So they just stay on one line and I'm like ruthlessly authentic on there. I've had like when <laughs> at like one of my jobs, I've like, I applied to, I was like, reading tarot cards. <laughs> I don't care. Or like astrology. Like I put my weird shit on there and without fail, every single job I've gotten, they ask me about my interests in the interview, like yep. every time. And it's because people want to work with people they like. Yep. And it's like, and if you can be qualified for the job and you guys have things in common, why wouldn't they pick you over somebody who can just do the job? Yeah. So I'm going to interrupt you here for a minute. Sure. So Ummer joined us Hello. for the first time in studio. Um, we have not seen Ummer in quite a while. It's been a bit. Since, I years? Think, well, I don't think it's been years, but it was definitely before <laughs> the last baby was born. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, Jesse, you probably have no idea where we came from. So I, I'm just going to back us up a little bit here. So when the pandemic hit, Nick and I got sad because him and I used to get together and talk about money, mm-hmm. you know, once a month, once every couple of weeks, whatever. And then we weren't allowed to get together anymore and we got bored. Yeah. Uh, Cause there was nothing to do. So I'm like, Hey, you want to just hop on zoom and we'll talk about money. And I put something out on Facebook. I'm like, Hey, anybody want to talk about money? And Ummer joined us. I work with Ummer at a local healthcare company here. And uh, he hopped on, and I think we talked for like three, four hours. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that kind of evolved into this. So Armour joins us every once in a while. He he came to an event we had at the business for Toys for Tots the other day, and I showed him the podcasting room, and I got him, I saved this for you. I got a message from him, like, right before we went on air that said, hey, I might swing by tonight. So here he is. <laughs> here we go. Awesome. Wow. I, I mean, this is my first time meeting you, so welcome. <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, um, you know, when I, when I look at networking, mm-hmm. I mean, because I'm not great at written skills, right? Verbal is my number one key. That's a and, fact. Say, and I, I really getting to know other people, you know, I grew up very, very, you know, they say that your net worth or, or your success is the five people that are around you, right? So 
if you're in a gang, you know, if, if your five friends are in a gang, there's a very good chance you're going to be in a gang. If you're, you know, a CEO of a company, there's chances that your five friends are higher up in their companies, right? I mean, so everything that you hang around with is a representation of you, right? Um, and your closest five. So, you know, I don't search that type of stuff out, but like, I mean, you know, just as much, like, I do not do business with shady people. I don't do business with, you know, greedy, like people that are out. I mean, the reason I'm not as successful as I am is because I'm a very specific person. Like I won't, you're choosy. I won't do business with, with crappy people in this world. Right. I've gotten scammed. Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't know, but like, I'm not going to get no partnership with you if you're literally just there for the money. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. don't ever tell my tenants, I actually care about them, but like, right. Like you have, you have to care, right. Like you have to be there for that. Like if I, you know, I, if I tell you, Hey, you know, for the 4th of July, I get my tenants a gift. Right. And you just go, why, why would you spend money on them? Awesome. It was great meeting you. I, you know, like mm-hmm. this was a good conversation. Thanks for your knowledge. Like we do not fit. Right. right. Like it's not you, it's me. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. I, I don't share your same type of a thing back in the day. If you weren't into bowling, I wasn't talking to you. I have no idea how I met my wife, <laughs> but like, no, you're like, right. If you don't share that same passion that I have, it's just, you know, we're, we're going to run out of things to talk about after about 20 seconds. Well, right. My wife used to complain that I turned every conversation we had into softball. Yeah. But that's been such a big part of my life because my daughter played softball. I coached her and, and that's just what you talk about. Yep. So, I mean, they would be sitting there going, Hey, I'm going to paint my house tomorrow. You want to come help? And I'm like, Hey, I got softball practice. You know, let's talk about <laughs> softball right now. Cause I don't really care about painting. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just where it came from. Now I'm going to ask Umar. Yeah. Are you a millennial? Yeah. I don't think so. Okay. How old are you? Uh, based you on when I was born, I could be considered a, a millennial. So you were well, born then, yeah, early. you are. There's no like, oh, I don't identify. <laughs> if you're born in there, you're yes, a millennial. So you're <laughs> I knew you were younger than me, but I wasn't sure where you fell in the middle. I think 1980 is when it starts. So if you're 80 and and um, then I think it's 80 to 95 or 96. I think it's 81 to 96. Yeah. According to Jessica, it's 81 to 96 because she's adamant that she is a millennial. Yeah. And I'm going to defer to her because I don't really know. Yeah, so she Which means Googled my daughter it. is too, I guess. <laughs> she Googled it. Now, I'm, Google knows everything. I'm a very, you know, young father, I guess. You are. It happened. You had my, she was three. I'm 44 and my daughter's 26. You're yeah. 30. Two, three now, yeah. And your daughter's six. six yeah, I'm old. Ummer's thirty-six, and your oldest son is three. So, yeah. Just because I like to go off on tangents here, I've got a couple of the greatest texts ever the last couple of days. Yeah. So Ummer came to the Toys for Tots events that we ran at Break Room Therapy the other day, and I get a text from him on Sunday. My son wants to know if we're going to see Star Wars today. Yes. And then I got a text from him, I think yesterday, going, <laughs> my son wants to know if we're going to see Star Wars today. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and not the movie, so just the characters. Yeah. Just the characters, <laughs> yes. We talk about, you know, we, we go back to this whole networking thing and, and why it's important to find other people's things. But, like, you know, when I look at, when I look at people that dress up in Star Wars, right, I would just assume they're homeless bums and broke <laughs> i am like, not a homeless bum or broke. but like most of the people in your groups are literally like really successful doing, very successful doing people things. yes like on you know so when you think of people that sail on because I, I sail in, in sailboats and come to find out like 
90% of them literally own businesses are stupid, filthy rich. And then like I say, with I say with a doctor, I say it like, well, I, he's a foot doctor. We make sure to let him know that he's not a real doctor. You know, it's like a dentist. Yep. <laughs> so, but like, you know, and, and you find like these groups of people really like in everything, like they're, if, if you're involved in something, a lot of charity things, it's usually the more successful people that get Correct. involved in these types of things. Yeah, because we want to give back. Yeah, we were we really do enjoy giving back. And, you know, being the only Gen Xer here, I'm going to say, you know, it, it wasn't important during school. We didn't have the community requirements that, that a lot of you guys might have had. But as we got older, we realized, hey, you need to get back a little bit here. People are, you know, struggling and you need to help. And that's just, you know, something that, again, Gen X kind of missed all of the, hey, your generation sucks. Yeah. The yeah, boomers, but- we were always railing on because they sucked. And millennials, the boomers were railing on because they sucked. Yeah. And we were just sitting there in the middle going, everybody sucks. I just, and honestly, you know, if you have to look at it, I, I like boomers. I like Gen Z. I just, no, I like Gen Z. I like millennials. I hate boomers. Yeah. And I, I don't mind anybody. I hang out with a lot of older people. Yeah, but I think it's also like that, you know, it's um, a lot of people will talk about boomers being like, you know, an, a narcissistic generation, you know, but you have to like, look at, they lived through essentially like the antithesis of like what millennials went through, which was like booming economies. And like, yeah, they had, you know, like the 19, what was it? 1989 stock market crash, like, or 87, 87. I think 87. 87. Yeah. So you still had like, you know, black Tuesday and whatever, but the narrative was different and everything around culture at that time was around American exceptionalism. And it was around individuality and the success of like the, you know, the individual is what it was about. So of course they've like brought, they have a different way of thinking. They think about themselves because that's what they were conditioned to do. Whereas, you know, millennials knew that it was like, I mean, I don't, I don't think I know any millennials who like don't have like a fierce, like, you know, tight knit group for the most part of people that they know, like, oh, they'd give the shirt off, shirt off their back for me. And I think that that's, that's why you see like a lot of younger people swaying more toward the left is because they've had to live through that. They've had to live through like, you know, helping, helping out your neighbor and like, you know, being like there for them in a very real way, you know, and, you know, you had said something earlier about, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And something I always like to tell people, because not everybody um, like has that type, like has like a a group of friends who's like where they want to be. Right. Like, you know, and I, and I say like, you don't have to dump your friends if they're not like as successful as you want to be, but the way you have to counteract that is like, you have to look at your biggest influences And so it may not be in a friend, like, you know, maybe you've got like a friend who's someone from childhood and maybe they're like kind of a mess, but at this point, they're basically a sibling. You're not getting rid of them. You know, what you need to be doing is like counteracting it with like the inspiring stories where it's like, you know, podcasts where you can like tune in, you know, I don't know if you've seen that meme where it's like what it feels like listening to a podcast and it's um, like a kid with an ice cream sitting in front of like the ice cream box where it's like kids with ice cream. It's like, 
those when you listen to podcasts all the time and these people start to feel like friends because you listen to them so often and you hear their stories, you hear how they talk about things or even like a TV show that you find inspirational where everything is fake. It doesn't matter. But the people feel like so like you relate to them so much and they inspire you in a really big way. Like that's one of your influences right there. It's like the more time you spend in that space of being inspired is the more that you start to believe it's possible for you. And like, if those people look like you even better, if they have a similar background to you even better, like the more you see yourself in another person who has what you want, like the more that your brain will subconsciously start to register. Oh, I can have that too. Oh, it's possible for me too. So it's like, it doesn't matter where you are physically or who who's around you physically. You need to look at like, what am I putting like into my eyes and into my ears that's going to set me up for the level of success that I want? Well, I, I think one of the things we've kind of walked around but haven't really hit on is I think my generation is the last one that actually believed in the American dream. Because after Gen X, it just didn't really exist anymore. And I'm going to throw that all on Reagan and his bullshit because I don't like it. Here for it. And all he did was come in and say, yeah, we're not going to tax anybody at the rates we used to tax. We're just going to lower all of that. And we don't really care about Social Security because that's not anything I'm going to have to worry about because I'm an old man and who gives a shit. So we're going to basically rob from Social Security as much as we can. And, hey, gay people are getting AIDS. I don't give a fuck about gay people, so screw them. He was very singularly focused. He cared about rich white people, and he pushed that agenda. And at the time, we were a nation that went, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's, Let's go for that. And then, you know my generation started getting older going, this is bullshit. What the hell happened? But again, I, and I think Jesse, you said it in, in your initial TikTok with Buzzfeed, Gen X is just tired and they don't want to fight this shit anymore. And we just kind of, whatever. Yeah. That's like, (laughs) I'm already fucked. So what am I going to do about it? You know? And like really hoping for millennials and Gen Z to kind of fix it. Even if, even if a lot of Gen X agrees with it, it's just like, you've been doing it for so long. You've been putting up the bullshit for so long at this point, you're not very, you're not as far from retirement as you were. So it's like, well, fuck it. It's either going to get better. It's not, I don't, (laughs) I'm not going to, you know, hope either way, but I feel like millennials, like we're disillusioned with the, this idea of the American dream almost immediately where it was like, and I see it a lot where so many of my clients are like between the ages of like 28 and like 32, 33, like so many of them. And like, I hear the same thing from everybody. I did the things I went to school. I got the good job. Yeah. I got the degree. I did what I was supposed to do and I'm fucking miserable and I'm broke. Like, I don't have any of it. I don't have the paycheck to make it worth it. And I definitely don't have the joy. And so then it becomes like, okay, well, how can I get at least one of those? And, you know, my thing is I'm teaching people, you can have it, but you can have both, but you're going to have to be willing to think outside the box and do things that you haven't done before. So if you want to stay in traditional employment, you have to be willing to like 
talk to people and network. And even if you're like an introvert, you can network online. Like yeah. you don't, I mean, you can email people, but you know, how many people are in like Reddit communities where it's like, you're in there talking about your favorite show every week. And then like, you know, some will say some offhanded comment about like, you know, being a software developer or something. And it's like, that's your in right there. If you want to do that, there you go. Oh, hey, I realize this is on, isn't on topic. Can we chat? There's so many Reddit communities dedicated to like actual careers and jobs and, you know, like not even for networking purposes, but for like, you know, sharing ideas and, you know, talking about their pay to see like, oh, am I being compensated fairly? Or like, what's your job? Like, whatever, you know, or even connecting with students. Same on Facebook. It's like, I'm, I'm actually like in the midst of doing a series on like networking on social media. Like, what does that look like? So Facebook, like Facebook is still throwing ad money at groups. Like every so often I'll see a commercial for Facebook groups on Hulu. And so if they're still advertising it, then that means that it's still a priority, which means they're still active. And like, you can absolutely like find an industry group that's active, like on Facebook, where they're willing to give advice, they're willing to help out, like, you know, they're willing to talk about things like, you know, I'm in one for, and I'm not even a practicing lawyer anymore, but there's one I'm in called like Ms. Esquire. And it's literally just female attorneys in the US. That's it. And so, so many people go on there and they're like, you know, I hate my area of law. Like what area of law do you practice? Do you love it? Do you hate it? And then they're in the comments. Can I talk to you more? Can I get on a call? You know, like you can easily do that, you know, before you ever get to the point of like, oh, I'm going to email strangers. Like there are other ways to do it too. Even like Instagram, this is a video I'm putting up later. I was just filming it where it's like, you just search, like you just got to like be curious and search different things. So it's like, I just recorded my screen doing a few different experiments where I was like, all right, type in lawyer. Let me look for accounts where like people are in different, it, they'll usually put on their profile what they do or like, let me put in at one point I did like sales, like, okay. And then you find like some people talking about sales. Oh, these are mostly coaches. That's not really what I want. And it's like, then I put in like, you know, I don't even live in Nashville, but I put like jobs, Nashville, just to see what came up. And there were so many local companies that like put their jobs on, like we're hiring, you know? And it's like, there's so many ways that you can network. And then like, if, if a company puts that up, oh, you can go to the company page, scroll through their posts or their pictures with employees, tap on the picture, who's tagged in it. Then look at those people. Do you have any, anything in common with them? Like it, you don't have to do it one way. There's no one road to success. You just have to be willing to see things a little bit differently and to step outside your comfort zone, the, even the littlest bit. So I got a couple comments Yeah, because I'm getting text messages. I might well know who this is from. So coworker, my degree is in creative writing. I like my job because of me and the flexibility and because we have stuff in common, which mind you, we have stuff in common because I said, hey, you know, you should watch Star Wars. <laughs> Just saying. Um, and then her next comment was, we were told we would never be able to achieve more than our parents. So why bother being in a miserable job just to succeed? And, you know, she's got a good point there. You know, Christy has told me several times, you know, I, she really went through school the right way. So there, there was an option to lock in her school rate at one specific price and they did that when she was a freshman sure so she paid way less for school than 
most people that she went to school with. And she went and she got a creative writing degree, which is worth damn near nothing. But she got into the legal department at our company. And now she works, you know, fully with me. And, you know, I, I literally taken her under my wing and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, because I'm 10, 12 years older, you know, she's latched on to everything I said and, and become a great asset to the company. Whether they know it or not, I have no idea. But I know it. And, you know, like this summer when I tried to die, she kept us afloat. Yeah. And my boss knows that without her, we'd be totally screwed. And if I would have died, she would have been able to, you know, pick things up and just kind of, you know, it would have been tough, but she would have been able to go on. Say way to replace yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I know one person that, you know, thought I hoarded my knowledge to create job security, um, which... Ummer knows that person too. I'm just saying. <laughs> and but you know, there, there's a, a point where you you have to, right? Yeah. So one of my favorite stories out there is um, you know, the ship captain can't yeah. can't get his motor going. You know, people he hires like five people and they can't figure it out. And so he calls this, you know, 80-year-old guy and gets in. Guy go guy walks in, fixes it within two seconds, hands him a bill, it's ten thousand dollars, and he goes. Well, I'm going to need an itemized list. You were here for two seconds. And he writes down, you know, uh, $2 for hammer hit and, you know, $9,980 or, you know, $8 for knowing where to hit. Right. And it was just Mm -hmm. like knowing the knowledge. And, you know, that's the biggest key is um, understanding that, like, it took me a long time and I'm still very young and I still don't know my worth. Right. Like I'm the first to admit that, like, I've never seen that amount of money, <laughs> you know, like, cause to me right now, I, the, the knowledge that keeps coming every day, every week, every month, whatever it is, like, I, I really could see myself at least getting into a hundred million dollars, right? Like it, it, it's very feasible for me. Like now I think the older people get, the more they get beat down, things like that. And trust me, like I, we talk about it all the time. Like I think about selling everything. I go through lows, but then you have your high times and you're like, there's just, no end in sight like i can go open these businesses do like in my my brain just works different than people right so um and you were saying it like you could work a job and and you're if you work 24 hours in a day you're very maxed out on what you can do right now it's like you have to hire you know virtual assistants to get you to the next level and you have to do things and and i it takes me a long time to actually learn that right like i can't pass off things and when i got a little bit more money i started passing off some work to people right i'm like hey go take care of this broken window because i'm done and i got to sit there and finish my 90 dollars steak with my wife and i'm just going god that was that was worth every penny i didn't i didn't stress mm-hmm. about being there like i didn't like normally i'm like i'll be at dinner and i'll be like i gotta go right and because that's just who i am and i i've learned i don't need to jump every second and it took me 10 years of this stupid game to finally understand that like i can go on vacation I need to leave. I don't need to be the number one on a constant. Like I still need to hold myself to a high standard, but I, I can rely on other people in this world. I'm not used to that. 
because I've always like I've been self-made and by that I really mean self like every damn aspect of it like self yeah but that's a lot of us we sit there and and we won't pass anything off because we know what's coming yep so I mean you know with my job before I got Christy I, I had a very nice lady that used to work with me and she was 25 years my elder and I do a technical job and she just wasn't good at it yeah but she was the nicest lady and you couldn't get mad at her because she was just so damn nice. She brought you cookies. <laughs> but I had to sit there and basically do her job and my job, which is why everybody thought that I sucked at everything because I was doing the job of two people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now that I have somebody that, you know, actually could grasp what I was talking about, I don't have to do the job of two people anymore. And if I'm out for a week, nobody cares because nothing gets lost. Yeah, there's a saying like among entrepreneurs, like hire slow, fire fast. Um, you know, I think that that's like some advice a lot of a lot of people could hear. Um, what's interesting too is, um, you know, Nick, you were talking about like, oh, I could easily see myself like making a hundred million, which is totally possible. Yeah, but what I like to remind people is that you don't like your ambition is going to look different than anybody else's, right? Like it's you know, for me, like I've had times in my business where it's like, you know, I'm not the richest business consultant out there. I'm not the richest job hunt coach. I'm not the richest life coach. Far from it. Like, you know, I make a decent, I make decent money now and I feel good about the time I spent, but my goal was never just to be a coach. Like it wasn't just to be like a millionaire coach. And like, I teach people and like, that's what I'm, what it is. Like for me, my dreams have always been much bigger where it's like, you know, I want to write a best selling book. I want to like do speaking tours. I want to help people with doing more free information. I want to like get more stuff and reach more people. I want to be an advocate. I want to have a platform. Like those are the things that I have wanted. But when I first started my business, like, and I was like making nothing, I, I sat down and I asked myself, well, what do I even consider a successful business? And I said, well, for me, you know, and this is like, you know, probably like a year and a half, two years ago. And I said, well, it would mean that I need that. um, I'm free to work from home, like work from wherever I want. Like I can travel or I can work at home. Doesn't matter. I'm like location independent Two, I don't have anyone telling me what to do. I get to call all my shots. I'm the one who decides, you know, everything that I do. And three, I determine my own pay. I'm not having to ask somebody for a raise. I'm not asking somebody to like increase my rates. And I took a moment, and this was a month where I'd made nothing, okay? And I like took a moment. I said, right now with $0 in sales, I have all three of those things. And then I had this moment where I was like, I run a successful business. By my own terms, I run a successful business because I have all three of those things right now. Of course, like my goals changed and evolved, but like you get to decide what success looks like. So if success for you is like, you know, oh, I make enough money to like go on a vacation twice a year with my family and like put aside some money for retirement, put aside some money for my kids. And like, I never have to like say no to myself when I go to dinner, like I don't have to choose the smaller entree, then that's you don't, you don't need to let other people pressure you to want more. Just like if you want more, you don't have to pressure yourself to be less, right? It works in both directions. Like me, like I'm never like, 
I'm not poo-pooing coaches who just want to be coaches and want to be millionaire coaches. And like, they want high ticket clients and that's it. They just want to like be that because like, that's not my goal. And so for me in those moments where I've been like, oh, I'm not making like what these people are making. I'm like, but that's not your goal. Your goal is a worldwide stage and it takes longer to get there. And it's going to look different. Like if all you wanted was the money, then you could have that, but that's not the goal. So that's the thing I always try to keep in mind. And then, you know, like what you said about outsourcing is so true, but I see that mostly when people plateau, like that's always the problem I see with entrepreneurs who can't seem to like, oh, I've been like at this certain income level for so long. I don't know what it is. I just can't seem to break through. It's either you don't take breaks or you, uh, you, you're doing too much. Like you're out, you need to outsource something. And, you know, it's always a stretch. It always feels uncomfortable when you have to hire help or you have to do something, or maybe you like literally don't even have the budget. And I say like trade with people if you can, like if you, if you really can't afford it and you really need help, like, and, you know, I use this example with, um, you know, like women, especially it's like, if you can like trade with a friend where it's like, you hate to cook, I hate to clean my floors. So how about like you clean my floors once a week? And I'll like make you a few dinners for the week, something like that. Like that's like a, you, now you don't have to worry about your disgusting floors anymore. Like you just like got a whole big thing off your chest or like, you know, with kids, like, can you take my kids one day and I'll take your kids another day. And so that way we both each get a full day where we just get to focus on business or our job or whatever you can do that, you know? And then that, what it does is it shows you. I can expand, I can outsource, I can get the support that I need. So when it, when you are at a point where you can invest in that, whether it's like, okay, I'm going to hire a virtual assistant, I'm going to hire a cleaning lady, cleaning person, I should say, (laughs) hire a cleaner, um, whichever one you do, like it, it becomes easier to make that kind of jump. And like without fail every time, like people always make the money back because it's like, you have to take a little bit of risk sometime. Oh yeah. Hey, uh, let's say, a couple things but one of my friends you were talking about uh taking the kid once a week or whatever uh, a friend of mine who's another tiktok influencer he's got quite a few followers ripple in time um he came out with a video and he's like i think there should be a thing where you know once a week everybody should have to take the other people's kids so that way everybody like he called it like guardian angel or something he's like hey open it up so that way you take the kids so these people can just get out and go just to dinner do whatever they want just for that one night or you know once a month type thing like and he he worded a heck of a lot better in his little tiktok thing and i thought it was great um and uh as a steve uh he just uh i i bank with him because of him i walked into the bank and this guy comes up to me and he goes oh hey how's it going and i'm like honestly like i'm very bit like i'm at the bank because i when i'm in business mode i'm kind of more of a dick because like i'm just yep. there to like get this done because i have other things to do i'm like and he's like talking i was like we're steve right and he's like oh i took over for steve and i was like well, let me text him real quick because like this isn't how this is going to be like i'm now going to take all my money out because i'm going to go find steve right. <laughs> like i don't have time i don't have time for this and uh but no like i i, I like the idea of of trading like i do it I do it all the time. I mean, mean, I need flooring done. Oh, Hey, what, you know, I need, I need to find a house. Okay, great. Like here, I have these 15 people that can help you. So we did an episode about a year ago. Yeah. Talking literally just about fear. Yes. 
and the three of us browbeat Lawrence. Yes. Because Lawrence does not literally pay any attention to his investments. None. And and I remember Ummer specifically was going, Lawrence, just give me your investments. I'll do it for you. I don't <laughs> I don't need anything for it. Just let me play with it. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, I, that kind of goes to the fact of at the end of the day, we just want to help. We just want to make things better for, you know, whoever's around us. You know, I, I've, I've said this a million times. I don't celebrate anything for anybody else that they do that has anything to do with what I do. So, you know, if a coach gets a win, I'm not excited for them. Screw them. I'm better than them, whatever. Yep. But, you know, like I, I, I have a friend that came to me a couple of days ago and said, hey, I hit my number for retirement. Jeez. And I was so excited for them. I'm not going to say who it was, yeah. but. They, I was so excited for them. I'm like, that is, that is awesome. That's, I have a friend, we, we bowl together, yeah. older guy, and he's probably your age. Uh, we drink bourbon together and stuff like that. But he, uh, you know, he comes to me and he's like, I just sat with my financial advisor and I hit the, the big yep. seven digit mark. And I was like, dude, I am so freaking happy. Like big old, we celebrate those big old bear hug. I was like, this is amazing. And then, you know, not so long ago, he's like, Hey, just let you know, I lost this amount of weight. And I was like, that is huge. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it just, I mean, things I know that I struggle with or think, you know, again, financials, yep. like I dude, I'm going to celebrate every personal victory you have. Right. Unless it's against me. Right. So um, I, you know, I think, I think to me, like people forget to celebrate those victories. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, every, you know, and the problem is, is as a millennial, right. You, you were just known to go out and drink craft beers, right. Oh, they're just spending all their money on craft beers. No, like, Oh, millennials live at home with their parents longer than anybody. Well, yeah. I mean, cause they're the brokest of anybody right now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you want us to do? I mean, you know, and you know, you get the, Hey, kids aren't, kids aren't going out and mowing people's lawns. And I'm like, yes, but generations before it was safe to go knock on somebody's door right and ask them hey can i now like you know there's everybody has taught so much there's predators out there like why would you even think about going to you know knock on a door and mow lawns like uh, i moved to be clear like it was probably just as dangerous back then it's just that no one was talking about it and no one was getting therapy for it so There were just as many perverts back then. Like, do you, something crazy I read, this is off topic, but I have to insert it because it blew my mind. And I can't remember where I read it, but it was years ago that like Freud's entire theory about penis envy, like women wishing they had penises and like Oedipus Rex and stuff was because he had so many interviews conducted with young women where they had said that their father and uncle had molested them or raped them, that he thought they, that it was so many that they must've been making it up and came up with a theory to basically explain it. Really? Yeah. Isn't that, it's so fucked up. When I read that, I was like, like, I think I read it in a textbook or something, but yeah, like, it's like, it was very common. Like it's always been very common. And it's just that now we're more aware. And now we know the things it's like, who's be the most dangerous is like somebody that a kid trusts and knows. Right. So it's like, yeah, I don't want you knocking on neighbor's doors. I don't know why they live here. Like, well, it's like, you know, when I was in school, when I was in school, you know, you, they always talk during the assembly. Like when you had to go sell, they're like, don't go door to door and 
but they're like, we want you to sell the most to be the winner. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to win my so family? Which one do you want me to do? Yeah. Like, my family is broke as shit. So like I was the kid knocking door to door, right? I and was like, too. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. 100%. And you know, one of my favorite jokes is, uh, you know, the, the house that buys the most is the one that has the no soliciting sign. Right. Because they didn't want to buy the sign in the first place. Right. Oh so my like, God. That's why they put it out there. It's so like, as a kid, like I knocked on every door. I mean, I didn't care who you are. You were buying candy. Right. Like I, w- I wasn't leaving. And so I became a very decent salesman, <laughs> you know? Um, it's so funny you say that. Cause like my, my uh, mom loves to tell this story about me, but when I was, I was in Girl Scouts for a very brief time. Like it was not great with the group work situation like that. So and I didn't sell the most cookies, but we would like get our portion sold, right? Because they give you way too many boxes. And my mom loves to tell the story about how I went up to some woman's door and she was like, oh, honey, I'm sorry. She was like, I'm on a diet. I can't buy Girl Scout cookies. And I said, well, we have low, so we have low fat lemon pastries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's like, you, you get it. You learn it, right? <laughs> You know, um, and, and that's actually one thing. So my daughter's in first grade now and, you know, I give feedback because like, as a parent, I will walk door to door with her and stand on the sidewalk while, while she doesn't mm-hmm. like, they won't do, they won't do sales. Like they send home envelopes that are like, Hey, donate because so many parents have asked just to give money instead of doing fundraisers. And I'm like, you've taken out such a good life lesson. Like, these Mm -hmm. kids need to learn to interact with people they need to learn to get out there like i get that you're an introvert or whatever but you still need to understand there's social environments Mm. there's things in your life you're gonna if you're gonna become an employee unless you're stupid rich as a kid like from something like you have to get out there and do this like and and the the school's like yeah but so many people and i'm like i don't care about so many people right they're called one percenters for a reason right because one percent <laughs> does it i'm telling you right now that was my generation yeah our parents were like yeah i'm not selling this shit and i'm not asking my kid to go sell this shit i'll just whatever oh, here's, just... here's some money go away oh, and, and, and it bugs me so much and like what doesn't I, bug you um <laughs> beer i like beer yeah see i'm so <laughs> but no, I, I get, I get so frustrated about it. I do. Um, that, yeah, I get it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not even just being an extrovert. Like it's, it's the, the life skills that bugs me, right? You're, you're stopping an important life skill that should happen. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm I, my dad happy. is like, wait, my dad was really good about that. Cause like, he's very, like, he's, um, you guys would probably love him. He's almost like a parody of himself. He's like, an old, like, like a former New York cop. So very thick New York accent, handlebar mustache, all of it. Okay. It's like, if you were literally any more of a stereotype, it would literally just be like a family guy character. So he's, um, he was very like, there was no room for shyness. Okay. It was like, you know, with me, like I was very shy as a kid, or at least I was when I was little, you know, it was the first kid in a generation. So it was like me for a long time until my sister came along. I didn't have cousins. I didn't have any of that yet. And so I remember being probably about like, you know, five years old or something. And we didn't go out to eat often. It was because we were like, 
you know, three hours away from home or something. And so we went out to eat and I asked my dad, what time is it? And he was, didn't have a watch because he was pre-cell phones. And I said, go ask that guy who had a watch like in the waiting area. And I said, oh, never mind." And he said, no, now you need to go ask that man what time it is. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to. And he was like, you just have to go up. You just say, excuse me, sir, do you have the time? And I was like, oh, and like, then it was like, you went on and go say it. So then I finally went over and was like, excuse me, sir, do you have the time? And then he told me and I came back and my dad was like, see, it's not that bad. It's okay. Like, it was just like very, he was always teaching me to confront situations. It's like, even I had an issue with a teacher once when I was like in the fifth grade, it was like the library teacher or something. So he was like, write a letter. I was in the seventh grade. He was like, you don't want to confront her face to face, write her a letter and leave it with her. You know, so it was like, he helped me with that. It's like, my dad did a lot of things wrong, but when it came to like, you know, you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to like confront people. You have to stand up for yourself. Like all of those things. Like I'm, I'm grateful that he did that because like, yeah, I was very, I was very shy and I would have stayed that way <laughs> had he not kind of forced me out to do those things. Yeah. And I say, and you know, look where you are now, right? Like all the small lessons that you learn along the way. Mm-hmm. Turn Still an very, introvert, but one that is very chatty. So I'll say, which surprises me with the amount of TikToks and everything that you do, that you're an introvert. Well, so. see the TikToks, nobody's talking to me. Like yeah, I'm doing easy. it myself. I'm alone in my house doing it. This kind of thing. It's like, this is great. And then I'm going to be tired for the next few days. Like I'll be, I'll be like, you know, offline for a bit. Um, like I, you know, and I'm a regular, like, you know, I do talk to so many people. Like I do my calls. Like I only do calls noon until six or seven and it's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That's it. It's just that. Cause I can't handle more than that. After that, it's like, and on those days when I have like calls back to back all day, you know, and my friends try to call me, I'm just texting them. And I'm like, I got no spoons today. We're texting. That's it. I'm like, I'm not talking. <laughs> So it's like, you know, I have to recharge my batteries by being alone, but yeah, you know, God gave me a big mouth. So I use it. (laughs) I I will say this, Jesse has said that she will come back for another episode. I will. Yeah. I, of course, I, I, you know, I, I read the. I can't, can you hear me? We've never had this before. Gotcha. We've never had this before. Way to go. So uh the hell was I saying? Oh, oh yeah, she's gonna come back. So I, I read the BuzzFeed article and I, I reached out to three business owners in the area. One of them, of course, my wife, because it's easy to reach out to her. And she's Gen X, but the other two are millennials. Uh one's Nicole from Betty's Pages, we've had on. Sure. And the other one's Gavin, who's tardies we've had him on too yeah and i literally they all came from the corporate world and they said this is bullshit i don't like this i'm gonna go do my own thing yep and you know i you know reading not only reading but seeing your tiktok just kind of cued me into this is an issue i've seen before you know my wife got sick and tired of the daily grind Mm mm-hmm 
so did Nicole, so did Gavin. And they're like, screw this. I want to go do my own thing because I'd rather work for myself than work for somebody else who doesn't appreciate what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and it's possible to do it. You know, the main thing is that, you know, the, they, they throw around those stats around like how many businesses fail and all of that. And really, I, I really truly feel, I mean, other than like actual systemic issues that like, you know, cause people to fail, but one of the best things you can do for yourself is just have entrepreneur friends and like constantly be listening and speaking to entrepreneurs whenever you can, like, you know, and for a long time, I didn't have entrepreneur friends. I was like, you know, it was me and I had a coach and that was it. And I didn't know anybody like that, especially I was in DC, like everybody in DC, government, politics and nonprofits and, you know, think tanks, everybody's like in a, in a traditional job, they're all lawyers, like whatever. So I felt very isolated during that time. And like, nobody gets it. Cause when you are, when you're an entrepreneur and you're like, oh my God, I haven't made enough sales this month. I haven't made any sales yet. You know, you know that you can say that to another entrepreneur and they'll be like, you'll be fine. You got plenty of time left, three weeks left in the year. You're good. Like, it's okay. Just what's fun. Let's re let's come up with an idea. All right. You're good. Give you a pep talk. You say it to someone with a nine to five and they're like, Oh my God, how are you going to pay your rent? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. What do, you do? <laughs> do you need to borrow money? Do you need to send you money? And it's like, you don't want that energy. It just makes you more frantic. Yep. So it's like, it always comes back to like, you got to surround yourself with inspirational stories and especially like, and it doesn't matter if they're real or not. That's the other thing. People think like, oh, well, that means I need to watch like documentaries about like, you know, I don't know, like, you know, what is it? Like Warren Buffett. Like I got to watch documentaries like that. No, it's like, you know, great examples. Like, you know, one of my biggest uh, role models is Freddie Mercury. I'm obsessed with Freddie Mercury and solely because, I mean, we're talking about like a British Farsi, Farsi guy, gay beanpole, like, you know, all like totally different life than me. Okay. Rock star, like all very different. But what I identified with, like when I saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, like what I identified with over everything else and like, you know, what I, in all of his biographies how he knew he was going to be famous, like from as from so young. And like, he just knew and he just had this like commitment and he just knew Queen was going to be a success and like no one could tell him otherwise. And he was so committed to that vision. You couldn't talk him out of it. And like when I like and he was like so different than everybody else. And yet he took that to mean I'm different because I meant for more. And like I got that. You know, I got, I understood as someone who'd been bullied all through school and like, you know, I was like a nerd and always like, you know, ostracized and cards stacked against me and whatnot. Like I understood that feeling and I understood what it felt like to be like the best kept secret in the world and to also know like I'm destined for more. I watched that movie when that movie came out, I saw it in theater four times, like, cause I was like this, it just fed me every time I saw it. And I was like, Yes, I understand that feeling. So it's like, is it better if they can look like you? Like, I can go watch, like, the movie Joy about, um, what's her face? It was played by, you know, um, Jennifer Lawrence was the actress who played her. But it's, like, the woman who, like, made all of these products. Like, she invented the the self-ringing mop. That was, like, what the movie was about. Hmm. And she, like, basically popularized, like, you know, the infomercial channel on TV and everything. So it was, like, 
that movie about like, you know, oh, it's a white blonde woman believing in her dream and going after it. Like, yeah, I resonated with that too. So you just have to go for like, and like, you know, I always say like Mel Robbins is one for me because it's like she's a journalist, lawyer, blonde glasses. Like I see myself in that very easily, but you don't always have to look like them. You don't always have to have the same background. They don't even need to be real. Like, you know, watching like Leslie Nope on Parks and Rec was a big like role model for me for a long time where I was like, this is somebody who doesn't give up and she like never lets go. And like, I resonate with that as well. Yeah, so it's literally like, one of my favorite shows. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's probably my favorite show, honestly, yeah. Um, hey, yeah, it say, all works. I will say, you know, I'm I'm the old one here. Yep. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well set in my ways. I like what I like. I do what I do. And I'm happy to do those things. Like, you know, I don't mind showing up to my job every day and clocking in eight hours and they pay me what they pay me and I make good money and I'm happy. But I know I look at the two of you and, you know, because Umar and I work at the same place. Yep. I know in five years, he's not going to be working there That's because so- he's going to sit there and go, yeah, I don't need to be here. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I, I'd rather, you know, go do this instead. And that's fantastic. In five years, I'm 49 years old. And if they want to keep paying me to work from home, I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's a uh, great that you talk about that movie. Uh, so one of, one of the most inspirational movies to me as of late. So the greatest showman, right? I know you love that. Just absolutely. Like, just talk like I absolutely love it. Right. Like it is about different people becoming very successful. This guy mm-hmm. took something and created it. Uh, I mean, the soundtrack is just amazing. Like really it, it just hit me completely different. Like this guy is doing something and granted I'm in real estate doing whatever, but like I know that I can do something that other people aren't doing and make this just such an amazing thing. And it really, like I, I watch it all the time. Just like, I listen to the music just to pump myself up. Right. Like I, absolutely love it so you do that all the time yeah i mean how many events have you put on how many times have you said hey i'm gonna go buy 15 pizzas and just walk around grand rapids and hand it out to you know homeless people no not homeless anybody that was hungry it didn't matter i I understand that i'm just saying (laughs) anybody anybody like but that's just i mean that's normal right um no that's normal for you that's not normal that's not normal say i don't know like it, it to me, it's just an it's again. All three of us really are kind of abnormal. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Umar, how long did you not drive? Three years. Yeah, that's right. I forget about. Yeah, <laughs> he rode a bike or he took the bus. Yeah, just, I mean, right? He wanted to be financially yeah. successful. I mean, he did everything. Right? Yeah, and I get so tired. And so one thing I get beat <clears throat> up. I get beat up because um you know the amount of people that i talk to that are like oh i want to be successful i want to do this and i'm like cool you want to be successful go out there and knock on the knock on that door right there and ask them if they want to sell their house if they tell you no you walk to the next one and say you want to sell your house like you want to be successful like this is literally like you have no money you have nothing just walk out there like why are you talking to me just go do that well i don't know anything else after that you don't need to know anything else after that once you get them to say yes i want to sell my house here's my phone number, call me and I'll walk there and I'll teach you the next step at that point. Right. That's like, why you have the issue like, with minimum wage. Right. Because yeah. you're always going to get it. Right. Like, I mean, it, and again, you talked about it, like success is completely defined different by everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you just look at me and say, Oh, I want to be, I want money. This is how you get money, right? Money is the easiest goddamn thing in the world to earn, in America to earn. Right. Like it is, 
so easy. It's harder to earn than, than love, right? <laughs> Money is so easy to earn. You, you just said it though, success. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you coached with me for a year. Yeah. Am I a successful coach? Yeah. Why? Because the lives that we've impacted. Yeah, but I went 58 and 175. That's a great record. <laughs> I lost a, I lost three times the amount of games I won. Yeah, but Harbaugh did the same thing. <laughs> sorry. We're, we're from Michigan. That's a Michigan joke. Uh, sorry. Um, but again, I saw that, that movie, that's a baseball movie, right? With the, he, like, they crack the code on, like, you can do so many walks and, like, whatever. I remember that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Say Moneyball. Moneyball. Oh, that's the other one. Yeah. Okay. No, Jim Harbaugh is the head coach for the University of Michigan, and I'm a Michigan State. Ah, fan. Okay. Harbaugh keeps losing to Michigan State. They lose to everybody <laughs> else. So. Um, but no, like, you know, I don't know. I there's days in my life where I always beg to just be normal, right? Because I want to know what a normal life feels like, and I want to just live a normal life. And then there's other days where it's like, man, you ride that high and you're like, I'm so glad I'm not normal because I, I live such a better life than I ever could have imagined for myself. Right. When you're, when you're an entrepreneur, I mean, your life is a freaking emotional roller coaster, right? Like you have highs and lows, but um, I say, we're going to wrap up here real quick. Um, well, but before, yeah, say Jessica makes a great point here, you know, so I coached her many, many years. Yep. And, you know, she obviously had a different high school coach because I did, I coached the opposite school of hers. And, you know, the four years she played with this coach, all she did was tear everybody down. Yep. And all I did was build everybody up. And when you're sitting there looking for, you know, a, a mentor or, you know, somebody to help you along in your career, you're looking for those people that are willing to build you up. And those are hard to find. They really, really are. And when you do, you just kind of hang on to them. Yeah. And you hope you hang on to them, right? I mean, that's the biggest key. You have to, you have to still give that, right? We were talking about like get uh, networking and things like you have to still give some mm-hmm. effort. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But no, you know, we, we talked about goals and one thing I wanted to hit back and I know this is a while ago goals, right? We, you, you talk about how you relook at your goals and you, you'd be nothing without a goal. And one of my biggest fears, just like you, you said it, like, I'm so scared to hit all of my goals, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because what's next? Like, and, you know, I'm, I'm notorious for setting small goals, right? Um, they're large goals to other people. But like, to me, it's just because of how quick I hit them. Because if I set a goal, I'm so focused and determined. I am literally an all or nothing person. My wife gives me crap because, you know, if I, if I set a goal, if I set a goal to lose 20 pounds in, in two weeks, like I'm, I'm going to hot box it. I'm going to, I'm not going to eat anything. Like I'm going to guarantee I'm hitting that 20 pounds. Right. Granted it's not and people, and but you have so many outside forces. Oh, that's not healthy for you. Oh, you're doing it the wrong way. Oh, this. Okay. If you knew how to fucking do it, why haven't you taught me? And like, literally I am just straight focused on this goal. This is the only thing I know how to do like financial goals for me. Right. Like I put a $50,000 goal in six months and I reached it in three months and it, it's not being arrogant. It's literally because granted, I probably kicked out way too many wrong things on that. Right. <laughs> like, right. This is my goal. This is what I'm doing. Like I, nothing else matters to me at this point, except for this goal. Hey, I want to, you know, so this year I tried making a list of six goals and this started like January or whatever. I hit them all by July and I was like, shit, <laughs> you know, it was well, like, come on. Like, and, and one of those 
you know, I'm one of those people that are really big on quotes. And one of the ones I've always taken to the teams I've coached is it's great to have an end journey towards, but it's the journey that matters in the end. Yep. Because, you know, you sit there and you set those goals. Like my team this year, I'm an assistant coach, but I, I've told three or four of the top players, listen, we're going to win conference. We're going to win districts. We're going to win regionals. I'm not taking anything less, right. you know, and, and they, they're rising to that challenge. They're sitting there going, yeah, we're going to win state, which I'm sure they won't listen to this. I don't think we're going to win state, yeah. but I love the fact that they have that kind of confidence. Go get it. That, that's what I want out of kids. Well, that's what I want out of people. And I think that's the hard part, right? Like if you tell me a goal, I'm, my goal is to help you reach your goal, yeah. right? Like I can't, I'm not just going to hand you fu- fu- money because you'll never learn anything. But if I tell you to go knock on a damn door and buy a house like that and 99% of people won't do it. It's that 1% that makes it something, right? And I tell people, I, I do like a, everybody will tell you I'm, I'm long-winded. So it's like yeah. a four hour speech Love about that. how to go make money. And then I'm like, but understand that literally it's the one that actually does it, right? That's going to be successful because people don't do it. Yeah. And I mean, like people struggle with executive dysfunction too. And it's like, that's a very real thing. Like I just got diagnosed for ADHD like two months ago. And when I say medication changed my life, like I was like, you mean to tell me that everybody this whole time has been walking around and having thoughts and then doing it like immediately after the thought, they did the thought they had the thought they didn't sit on the couch for like 30 minutes and stress about it. They did it. I was like, you gotta be fucking serious. You gotta be fucking kidding me. This is insane because it's like, my brain was just wired differently where it's like, you know, I talk about, they, I saw someone on TikTok call it fork theory. So it's like, you know, people with depression and anxiety, which I also have, you know, you only get a certain amount of spoons for the day. And so like people who are disabled or have depression, it's like, they have to use spoons on things that like, you know, neurotypical people don't need to use spoons on, which is like, you know, it may be draining to like, you know, put clothes on for somebody who has limited energy. It may be draining to like actually do the drive because of all the stimuli that it's not for other people. And so they run out of spoons before other people do. That's a very simple concept. And with ADHD and autism specifically, it's forks. So you get one task seems to have four that come before it. And each one of those seems to have four more. And so it's like, you might think like, oh, I'm going to like have this idea. I'm going to clean my kitchen. And then you just never get the kitchen clean because you're getting distracted by all these other things, or you get so overwhelmed with all the steps that you need to do that you never get around to doing it. And it was like, when I went on medication, it melted. It was just like, I just, just was able to see things in a linear line, like in a linear like order. I was like, Oh, I only have to do this, this, and this. And like, I don't need to get distracted by the, the other thing. The example I love to use is if you need to make dinner and you notice that your pan is dirty that you need. It's like a lot of people, like neurotypical people will be like, wash your pan, make dinner, I'm good, it's fine. But a lot of people are like, well, if I'm gonna wash the pan, I might as well load the dishwasher. And then you start loading the dishwasher and you realize you're out of soap, like the dish soap or you're running low. So you're like, well, let me make a list. 
So you go to, you're like, if I, let me put it on a list. Well, if I'm making, putting it on a list, I might as well check the pantry and the fridge, see if I need anything. And then you're like, what the fuck spilled in the fridge? Now I got to wipe that up. And it's like, you're getting farther and farther away. Next thing you know, it's an hour later and you're ordering DoorDash because you never got around to cleaning the fucking pan, right? But what I love about something you had said was, you know, when you had said like, oh, money's the easiest thing in the world to get. And it's, you know, I, I hear it said in a different way in the spiritual community where people will say, well, money's just energy. Once, once you know the energy of money, it's easy. You can, of course you can make, it's just a frequency. And like, nobody ever breaks it up. So that I guarantee you, there are people who hear that, like hear that, we'll hear that on the podcast, we'll hear that and say, the fuck is he talking about? Like money is so hard. It's so hard for me to make money, but it's because they haven't gotten to that point. Like the reason you've gotten successful is because a, you were never focused on money to begin with. You were focused on influence and like goals and achievement. Like you were focused on giving back. Like you were focused on a passion in addition to like building wealth, but like the wealth wasn't the only thing and money is never enough to sustain you. Like the desire for money is just not going to get you as far. And like the other thing is that people like they think of it in a very finite concrete terms, which only makes it harder for you to think about. You have to kind of like look at it as, you know, money is like less like a fossil fuel and it's more like sunshine in the sense that like you can't see sunshine. You only know it's there because everything is illuminated. And even now, like, like we, money itself, like is just paper. It's just paper. It's just numbers on a screen. The only reason it has any value is because we as a society have all collectively agreed that this money represents this, like, this is what this means. Right. And so if you can accept that, like money isn't really real, it's just a thing. It's just, you know, numbers, it's just paper. And then you can also accept that, like, you know, because it's all going over the Wi-Fi at all times, right? Like, you know, as you're like, you know, people are getting paid, like their paychecks are hitting their bank accounts, they're making car payments, they're making rent payments. You know, you walk into Starbucks and you're paying Starbucks digitally and then Starbucks is paying their employees digitally. Like it's all like, if you can think about it, like it's literally in the air around you all the time. That's when it starts, you start to be like, oh, oh, it is around here all the time and no one can lose money because like you're never gonna not have money again at the very least you'll find a penny on the street right like there's always going to be money that comes to you again so when you can start looking at it as like I can't lose it like it's always going to come back to me it's going to come like maybe not as much maybe more it doesn't matter but it's around me all the time that's when you start to see things differently and you start to see solutions where you didn't see them before. But the key to all of that is like, you got to be focused on the passion. You can't just be focused on the wealth. Yeah. And I say, I've, I've enjoyed this episode. I like, this is one of my favorites. I say, cause when, when we first started, when we first started, like even getting up to this point, right. I was like, man, I like your mindset. I've watched your videos or a few of them. And I'm like, we have, we have an agreeance on things, but I also have a very different perspective on things. Right. Like, and I'm, she's not wrong. Right. But I'm not wrong. Right. Like, but, um, I, I enjoy this conversation. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I, I appreciate, I mean, we've, we've gone a, a very good amount of time. Um, 
Amr, thank you so much for joining us. So, Jesse, give a plug to everything you're on. Uh, like TikTok. Yeah, we'll be here in <laughs> 10 minutes. So, hold on, guys. No, yeah, you've got, um, I'm on TikTok. TikTok. Oh, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. Can. go ahead. Yeah, I'm on TikTok. I'm at their Millennial Money Witch. You can find me there. Um, if you, I have like groups where I do free training on different topics. So I've got two of those groups. I've got one for careers, like, like traditional careers. And that one's called Six Figure Career Queens. And if you literally just go number six, career queens, sixfigurecareerqueens.com, it'll take you to the group. You can join it. If you're of the business world, you're more of an entrepreneur. I've got five figure launch queens. And like, you don't have to be a woman to be a queen. Everyone is a queen. Okay. So yes, I'm you are queens. a queen. Yes, queen. All queens. Yes, queen. So, Again, five number five figure launch queens.com. That'll take you to the group as well. And then, yeah, you can find me every, everywhere else under Jesse De Silva with an IE. Okay. So, Ummer, you didn't have much to say, but what do you want to say at the end here? Nothing. Nothing. All right. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. I, w- I want to give a shout out to Michelob Ultra. Thank you for the 2.6 carbs in my beer. I feel healthy today. You got one of mine over there. Yes, I do. Jesse, you want to talk about the beer you had before I talk about mine? Yeah. Um, I'm Oyster City, my fav- one of my favorite breweries in Florida. They're my faves. And I'm... All of a sudden, I can't hear anything. We lost you. Where did you go? She's still talking. I can't hear her. I know. Yeah. That sucks. No. Try it again. How about now? Okay. There we, there we go. There we go. I was saying that I very much have enjoyed my Oyster City Mill Pond Dirty Blonde. It's, you know, Oyster City is one of my favorites in Florida. And I was letting you guys know, I'm sending you some, some beer from Deep Water Brewing here in Florida in Tallahassee. And for future reference, Nick, they have a locale beer. So you can change it up from Mick Ultra. Is it, a, is it a low carb beer? She just said it was a low no, carb. She beer. said locale. It's locale. I don't know if it's low carb, but yeah, I say I, I'm, I'm doing that keto. Thing. I'm going to say it's both. We're going to hope. I know we're going to go looking for beer for her tomorrow. Yeah. So I want to give a Either shout. Either way, out. that's not what I'm sending you. So uh, sorry. You're going to have full flavored beer. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. I for my so I, I'm allowed a certain amount of carbs. So if I drink a full carb beer it's 15 carbs usually or whatever right so i just don't eat as much during the day i get it well we'll split it so this does not say we'll split it so you'll only have half those carbs there you go so shout out to Dustel brewery which has sponsored us before their peanut butter porter was delicious it was um sounds so good it's so good i will tell you the grand armory blurred limes yeah I really enjoyed that. What do you think? I, I say I enjoyed it. Um, it was very limey. I say right. I was scared. I was scared it was going to be a key lime pie, and but no, like it was. It was very much because I put limes in all of my beers, and I was like, "Oh, this is a very yes. good lime beer." I really do you not like key lime pie. I don't. It's awesome. No. Oh, you can't say that to Floridian. That's See? like. <laughs> oh. You're going to Florida next week. You're in trouble. My wife will have all the key so. lime pies she wants. Rogue Santa's Private Reserve Kringle Crusher 2021. Awesome as always. And then I had a Blake's Apple Lantern because why not have why not? four? Because we were two hours tonight. So yeah. Um 
you're normal guys uh i thank you so much for joining us all of our guests on twitch um by the way just just said beer is beer and she is totally wrong completely wrong but uh say on that note like subscribe share tell your friends tell your family um your grandma's gonna love us i promise you that uh jesse thank you so much for joining us uh we're gonna stay on so don't go anywhere but uh we're gonna cut it off for you know the podcast and and the twitch people so thanks to those people for joining us You've dialed in to Box and Brews. You might hear something you can use. Like tips on your cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these stuff. Because they know the brews. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself some beer money. Bucks. And brews. Bucks and brews. Bucks and brews. Bucks and brews.